What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. Well, we're here with Melissa. I'm sorry. I said Melissa. We're going to say Mel. (laughs) Honestly, you can use both. Okay. Well, Mel is here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, Well, we're here to talk about cancer in a fun and uplifting way. Um, Do you want to just start by telling us what type of cancer you had? Yeah. um, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, which is like a cancer of your lymphatic system. It's like the germ-fighting part of your immune system. That sounds broad. Mm -hmm. Is that correct to assume that it was broad? Um, like it spreads across your whole body, your lymphatic system. Um, I don't know. You've probably heard of like lymphatic drainage. Like you, yes, do, that. Yeah. you can do like massages or, yeah. or things like that. So, um, it's really important that you don't have blockages in your lymphatic system. I keep touching my neck cause I'm saying this because I actually found out that I had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma because I had like little swollen and they're nodules. It's like little, it feels like a little ball like mm-hmm. under your skin. Um, but yeah, I, my system was going crazy and, uh, grew a little cancer in there. So, so actually that's the little balls is what I want to talk about. Okay. Because it's the, like, how did you even, th- what was it like? Cause like little balls, like on around your neck, like mm-hmm. that could kind of be anything. Like what was the yeah. process of finding out? Um, well, it's funny because some people, when they get sick, like have a cold or the flu, like their lymph nodes will swell up. Um, so they might feel them like on their neck and it will usually go away. Um, so it feels like it almost, how do I describe this? It feels like, um, have you ever had bubble tea? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Love bubble tea. Um, so the little like jelly balls, what are they called? Like the tapioca. Tapioca. It feels like a little bit harder, but like tapioca and you can sometimes like move it around. So it's not like it's, it's anchored, but you can kind of like move it, massage it. Um, so it started off with, I had like one and it was right on my collarbone. So if I was standing, you couldn't see it, but I could feel it. Like I could press and feel it. Um, so it started on the right side. And then at one point after, like, I was very neglectful and didn't address the situation for a long time. Um, but then on the other side, I started getting it and those were like harder and more like clustered together and I couldn't move them around. And that's when I started to kind of freak out, which was a little bit of a delayed reaction, but yeah. Was it painful? Like when you touch them? Or- um, no, it was never painful. Yeah. Yeah. Which was probably like an excuse that I had not to deal with it. So like, I feel fine. <laughs> I was not fine. Yeah. I had a very similar experience with that. Like I just like put it off forever because yeah. it was in my boob and I was just like, oh, boobs are like weird, you know? Yeah, like stuff happens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was there any like reason for not dealing with it, you think? Or you just really didn't think that it was, like, anything to be worried about? Um, I mean, like, not to throw my old employer under the bus, but I worked in a restaurant before I do what I do now, um, which is more, like, office job type stuff. So I was really active, like, running around all the time. And I was on my feet for, like, nine hours a day. Uh, I was managing in restaurants. I was running around a lot. And... Like I probably had symptoms like exhaustion that I just was like, I'm always tired because I'm always on my feet. So I would brush Mm -hmm. that off. 
Uh, and then at one point I had like a pain in my side, which was a swollen lymph node at my groin, uh, which was like much further down the road that would like send shooting pains down my leg. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I can't deal with it. It's just because I'm being too active. I stretched something. I pulled something like I could find an excuse for anything because I was almost I had almost conditioned myself to be like, I'm I'm doing something that's so physically and mentally demanding. Like there's just going to be times where I don't feel good and I just have to push through it. You just have to push through it. So I would just not address the things that were happening um, that were certainly red flags. Um, the next thing, I don't know how I just ignored that for so long. The other symptoms, like easier to explain. I think I just had like this fear of going into the doctor's office and them telling me that's what it was because that's the last thing you want to hear. Exactly. There's this thing where it's like not real until it's diagnosed, right? Yeah. So like you can live in this period of it not happening to you, mm-hmm. even though it is, but like mentally you're not there yet. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the takeaway should be address any balls <laughs> yes. in your body. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> any immediately. Strange, like feelings anywhere, address them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When was the so the one on your neck was the first kind of real mm-hmm. symptom? When was that? Um honestly, it's hard to say. I think it was the fall of either the fall of 2019 or like the spring or winter it's it's really hard to say it it was it was at least five or six months before I was diagnosed Mm. it might have been like 10 months like I I honestly can't remember I remember where I was I don't remember I was driving so I can't remember if it was cold out or warm out I remember it was sunny Uh, and I was driving actually my friend's car and I touched my neck I don't know what made me touch my neck I just suddenly touched it and I was like oh I'm like, I have this weird like bump on my neck. And my friend's like, oh, it's probably nothing. Like, whatever. And I was like, okay. And wow, I just, solid, like, solid advice. Yeah, solid. <laughs> um, I think that she was just trying to not like me, not freak out, have me freak out over nothing. But, it, you know, sometimes it's not nothing. So it's probably best to actually figure it out. That's probably a better takeaway. Sometimes yeah. it's not nothing. Absolutely. So. I know you said you kind of held off because, you know, you, you dismissed it and, and thought it could be other things. But how long did you actually hold off? Um, so I was diagnosed July 2020. And I think for four months up to me being diagnosed, I had, you know, WebMD'd myself. <laughs> and I was like, everything's pointing to cancer, but it seems really dramatic. Like, I don't feel that bad. <laughs> Um, so I would make jokes at work all the time. Uh, I'd be like, yeah, I have this thing. It's probably cancer. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so I think I knew deep down that's what it was, but I didn't want to like make it real and have it be like confirmed as like, that's what was happening. Like it was easier for it to be like this joke and everyone be like, stop saying that. Like, that's really, that's messed up. Like, stop saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I knew for, yeah, like four or five months, I was like pretty certain that that's what it was. But I was I I didn't trust myself. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's understandable. Like the mental gymnastics you'll go through to not have to deal with something that heavy. Yeah. Was there something that finally was like, all right, I have to go? Like, or is there somebody that pushed you or Yeah. Um so as you know, I was working in a restaurant. So at the time, uh it was like the height of COVID and we were just doing takeout service and 
I was like, it was, it was really stressful. We were prepping for when we were going to reopen and I was writing all these schedules and stuff, calling all these people being like, Hey, do you still want to work? And they're like, yeah, please. I haven't been working for months. Um, so that was, that was, there was a lot going on there. Um, and then I started to have, uh, pains in my chest and I told the people I was working with, I'm like, my chest is kind of hurting. Like, I feel like I'm really stressed out. Uh, I had a really short fuse at the time. Like I had no patience for anything. Um, and I think maybe that was tied to what was going on that I was ignoring. And then like the chest pain on top of that and like all this other stuff that's going on. And my paycheck got slashed. I'm stressed about that. So I was like, it's probably just stress. Like I'll, I'll go to sleep. It's fine. It's probably like anxiety or something. Um, and my friends were like, I'm um, chest pains, like really serious. Like you should probably go to the hospital. Um, and I was like, yeah, like if it doesn't get better, I will. Uh, so I think it was on the second or third day I was at work and I was sitting in a booth and I was just like holding my chest and I was just, just sitting there looking down at these papers on this work that I still had to do. And a friend of mine came over and he had just had uh, pericarditis, which is like a buildup of fluid in your heart. Mm. And he's like, I had these chest pains and it was crazy. And I had to go to the hospital and they told me it was that. He's like, maybe it's just that. But like, I didn't, you can't get better unless you get the meds for it. So I was like, okay, yeah. And he he, he was suggesting something that seemed so um, easy to, like so surmountable. I was like, right. yeah, I, I can go to the hospital and get pills for pericarditis, but I can't go to the hospital and get diagnosed with cancer. So uh, my friend was like, please, like she was visibly like very, very worried about me. Um which I felt really bad about because I was just like not, I was not, I was not caring about myself the way that the people around me wanted me to mm-hmm. and the way that they cared about me. Um, and yeah, she's like, please call me. If you need to go to the hospital, I will drive you. I will drive you there. That's so, uh, so I went home and I was like, I feel like I shouldn't go to emergency. Maybe I should just double check that these symptoms are serious and have like, a virtual visit with a doctor. So I have a virtual visit. It's actually over the phone. There's no Zoom or anything. And he's like, he listens to everything that I have to say. And he pauses and he's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I really think you need to go to the hospital right now. And this sounds like extremely serious. And I'm extremely worried about you. Wow. And I was like, oh. I was like, okay. And I hung up and I remember I had this call. I was sitting on like the edge of my bathtub in my bathroom and I hung up and I was, I think I had like this, it like just all this came down on me and I was like, oh my God, I have cancer. Like, I just know it. I'm going to go there. They're going to tell me like, I can't believe I've been ignoring this for so long. And it was like this weird realization. Um, And I was like, I can't, I can't continue like this. Like this is, this is not good for me. So I just sat on the floor in the bathroom and I cried for half an hour and I kind of cried as if like someone had just diagnosed me, but no one had, like I had. Um, And then I called my friend and I was like, I need you to drive me to the hospital. She's like, thank God. Yes, I will drive you to the hospital. I'm coming right now. I'll be there in like 10 minutes. I'm like, thank you. She drove me to the hospital. And that's, yeah, I, that's, that's how I finally gave in. Yeah. It's the beginning of the journey. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because Des, your experience was so different because your doctor was like very dismissive. Yeah. 
I went to a couple like family doctors at first and both of them, I mean, the first one was very just like, she felt it and she was like, oh yeah, it's probably nothing. Like Mm -hmm. here's just like an ultrasound requisition, like go get it checked out. But, and then the second one was a little more like go, but she was still like, oh, it's like probably nothing. You're young. And, uh, so I think that gave me a little bit of like the false hope. <laughs> I did have an ult when I did go get the ultrasound. I feel like in that appointment was the first time that I knew something was serious because the energy just shifted. Like they can't mm-hmm. tell you anything, right? But yeah, I could just tell from the um, technician's energy that like something was off. But I still just like chose to live in denial for <laughs> up until the like, moment. Let me enjoy my peace a little bit longer. Exactly. So I could just be fully shocked and have a very dramatic <laughs> moment. <laughs> but um, I guess that leads me to ask you. So you went to the hospital during COVID. Yes. Like right in it. Mine was a little bit right like before when mm-hmm. I got diagnosed. So your friend drove you. Did she come in with you or were you completely alone? Um. So she didn't she wasn't able to come in with me um she actually waited for me for about an hour and I was like no you need to go like I'm gonna be here for a while like even though I came and I was like I have chest pain and that's considered very serious like there's people around me that are bleeding like (laughs) I'm gonna be here for a few hours like just go home I'll keep you updated um but yeah I I was the entire time I was in the hospital I was by myself um and I I had a feeling that I was going to be there for at least a day. So when I left, I like packed some deodorant and like an extra shirt and then my phone charger and like my headphones so I could watch things on my phone, um, which is great because I like had a moment to like prepare myself in that sense and not mm-hmm. just be stranded and, mm-hmm. and without contact with anyone if my phone died. Um, was it a day? It was not a day. <laughs> <laughs> it was four days in the hospital. Wow. Um, which were absolutely just like soul sucking. Like it was, it, it was so draining. Um, so I went in that night, I think it was like 6 PM when I got in. Um, and the first thing they did was like a echocardio something where they like measure your heartbeat and listen to your heart. And they're like, Hey, your heart's fine. Mm. So it's not your heart, but you still have chest pain. So that's kind of weird. Um, so then I think I did blood work and then I did a chest x-ray and then I was suddenly moved into a different section of the hospital and I was like, here we go. The energy shift. (laughs) Yeah. There was an energy shift for (laughs) sure. Um, I got into a room with just like a curtain around it. Well, just a bed, not a room, uh, a bed with a curtain around it. And, um, a doctor walked in and he asked me about my symptoms and had kind of the same reaction as the doctor that I spoke to over the phone where he was looking at me like, you're crazy and I'm glad you're here um and yeah he asked me like do you feel exhausted I'm like always but I I feel like I've been exhausted for five years working the way that I do so I don't know I the answer is I don't know I don't know if I'm exhausted because I'm sick or if I'm just exhausted um and he's like do you have like night sweats do you have um any swelling or tingling in your hands and feet and I was like no I have none of that Um, but I did have like the physical symptoms. So I had like the swollen lymph nodes around my collar. Um, and I had that, like, it almost felt like I'm, you guys can't see me right now, (laughs) but I I had like a bump on my groin, like right below the hip bone. And if I pressed, I could feel it. It felt like a little 
a little golf ball or something and it was hard. Um, and I was like, maybe that's just a cyst. I just make anything up to feel better. Um, and he's like, that's not what that is, but okay. So he laid me down and he was like, I'm going to feel around. And he felt around and then he got an ultrasound and he was trying to stick it to see under my ribs, to see my heart. And he's like, your spleen is really enlarged. So that's not great. And I'm like, keep going, keep bringing me the bad news. Like, let's, let's get it done. Tell me what it is. Um, and by the end of all these tests that they did that first night, they put me into a, like a private room. And as soon as I went into the private room, I'm like, this is a bad news room. Like, this is <laughs> the room that they put you in when they tell you, like, really, like, terrible stuff is happening. Um, so I sat there and I waited and there was, like, a window and I could watch everyone running around outside. And he walked in and he's like, hey, so – and I'm sitting on the bed and I'm just like, he's going to tell me I have cancer. He's going to tell me. I already know. I have, like, lymphoma. I have lymphoma. I just know it. And he sits down next to me and he's like, just – want to tell you like you have uh it, it looks like you have lymphoma you have swollen lymph nodes above and below your diaphragm which means that it's spread so much that you could be in stage three or four and I was like okay I just said okay and he's just like looking at me like <laughs> is she okay like what's wrong with her and I was just like I'm like I already cried I already knew this was going to happen. I, it's, everything's fine. We're just going to figure it out. We're just going to figure it out. This is what I'm thinking in my head. And he can see that I'm like, not like letting myself like, I don't know, like release or like acknowledge that this is really happening. And for me, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait till he leaves. And then I'm going to call people and I'm probably going to get really upset and cry and they're going to cry. And then he reaches over and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he's like, it's going to be okay. And I just started bawling my eyes out um, and like in control be crying. He's like, it's going to be okay. Like, well, he didn't say that actually. They're not allowed to say that. <laughs> That's what I got yeah. from what he said. But he's like, it's there's a really good prognosis for this kind of cancer it happens most often with young people we just need to find out if it's hodgkin's lymphoma or a different lymphoma um but like don't lose hope like we're going to figure out a treatment plan for you and i was like okay okay <laughs> uh and then he left well before he left the room so because it was covid i wasn't allowed to have any visitors he's like i'm gonna let you have one visitor because i understand like this is really uh intense like news to hear so i want you to call like just one person and let me know and I'll, I'll let them in to come see you. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, am I going to call? It's 2.30 a.m. Oh, my it's God. hours at this point. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and everyone's asleep and I've told everyone, like, just go to sleep. Like, I'm going to be going to keep doing tests until, like, God knows when. So the only person that, like, responded to me was one of my friends – I don't know how to describe him. Just one of my friends from work, um, a really close friend of mine. And I call him and I'm like, hey, can you come to the hospital? And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, they just told me I have cancer and I'm really sad. <laughs> and he's like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, where are you? And starts asking questions. Um, so he gets to the, he's like, what do you want? Like, do you want me to bring you food? Do you want me to bring you a snack? Like I'll, I'll stop at the, at the convenience store and like get you candy. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I can eat, but like a junior chicken would be like really great. Um, I could try to eat that. Nice. <laughs> um, so he got a junior chicken. He came, they were fighting him at the door being like, you know, you, you can't come in. 
And I didn't know how to call the doctor to be like, hey, he's here. So he called his dad, who is like a foot surgeon. And somehow his dad got him in. Wow. And I was like, I'm glad I called you because no one else would have been able to get into the hospital. Thank you for your convenient connection. (laughs) Yeah. So he came in, he gave it to me. He's like, it's going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. So he's now saying it's going to be okay. And I'm like, I know, I know. Didn't know. But um, yeah, he gave me my junior chicken and he was like, like, what are you going to do? Like, when are you going to tell everyone? I'm like, well, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to call them like and tell them what's going on. And I'm really worried about telling Jordan, who is my boyfriend. Um, And he's like, Jordan's really strong. Like, don't. He's like, you're not going to do this by yourself. Like, you have to rely on him and you have to trust that he's like going to be able like emotionally to do this with you. And I was like, I know he will, but I it it like breaks my heart that not that I'm doing this to him, but like this is happening and in this way and that I've like caused this to get so far. Mm-hmm. And I know he's going to be really sad, like sadder than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, it's going to be fine. Like it's everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay. And then the doctor came and they brought me a bed and they're like, we're going to wheel you to your room. And I'm like, can I walk? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be in the bed. <laughs> they do that, right? They just want you to always yeah. be in the bed, like under the blankets, yeah. like burritoed in. And I'm like, I can walk to the room, like offended. They're like, no, please just lay down. It's fine. Like, we already brought it here. And I'm like, I guess since you brought it. So I got in the bed and they brought me to my room. And they I, wheeled you to the next yeah, room. Yeah, I laid there. It just feels then, very dramatic. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you're making me feel more sick. I don't exactly. like that. I'm like, I've been walking for the past. Like 20, I was 26 at the time. 26, I wasn't walking since birth, but you know, I've been walking a long time. I can do it. I feel fine. I mean, you've been running through nine hour shifts at work every day. So, yeah. And I'm like, you're underestimating how much of myself I can ignore is in a state of crisis. Like, I can walk (laughs) to my room, but it ended up being like a really long trip. So, I'm glad I didn't walk. Um, And yeah, it was three more days after that of, I think it was like, I counted at one point because I was getting annoyed, like 18 needles. Um, I did a biopsy. They did it on the groin. Um, That was really fun. (laughs) Uh, They did all sorts of tests, lots of blood work. Um, Yeah. And then on the fourth day, I like finally got to leave. And it was like so nice to see the sun. (laughs) So nice. I'm very glad they allowed you to have at least one person because while you were talking, that was the thing where like my heart went out and I was just like, I'm assuming these rooms were probably grayish and you're just in the space by yourself and there's no one there and it's just so heavy. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you at least got one person. But what you were saying about Jordan is actually the thing that really even motivated these discussions because this like emotional burden that you carry, which like, it doesn't matter if you waited four months, you did not cause it to get that far. Like Mm -hmm. that's not, there's like a little bit of leniency that has to be given for like the emotional, like heaviness of of it all, you know? Yeah. I very much relate to that feeling of like, you have these people that love you and it's like, you're hurting them, Mm -hmm. even though it's not your yeah fault you know it's happening to you too but you don't see it that way in the moment and that's really it's it's hard to like wrap your head around like it's not me like it's happening to all of us um and I think there was I mean there was a huge fear in, in telling 
my family, like telling my mom and my brothers that I was diagnosed and I didn't say anything to them for the full four days I was in the hospital. I waited till I was gone and I had like concrete things to share with them of of what things were going to look like and what they looked like right then um, and didn't want to be constantly calling and being like, hey, here's the sad update. <laughs> um and also having the fear of like having to do that over the phone and and wanting that emotional burden to be delivered as like softly as possible. Um, that was like a huge concern uh, for me because they didn't even know anything about like these symptoms. Like my friends at least were watching me and were there along the way up until the point where I went to the hospital. Um, so they were more aware, but to just drop that, uh, especially on my mom was like heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what um, what did they tell you at the hospital? Like, what was the information that you were going to have to sh- share? So when I left, what I knew was that it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. And for the people unaware of what that is, which includes me, <laughs> what makes something Hodgkin's versus something else? Um, I'm not actually sure what the distinction is, but the lymph si- the lymphatic system is the same with everyone so I don't know what makes it Hodgkin's or not mm-hmm. um I just knew that Hodgkin's was better than I was the gonna say is that the good yeah. one or the bad one like- <laughs> it's the better one okay yeah good. I'm glad yeah um yeah I knew that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma uh I they said be prepared when we get your biopsy results for this to be stage four and I said great um and yeah I was uh I was told like I was mostly asymptomatic. Like there were a lot of symptoms that typically you would have at that stage that I didn't have, um, which made me feel better. So I'm like, okay, it wasn't that obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And that the prognosis was good. Um, so there was a high chance that I would be fine. I think mm-hmm. it was like over 85% of people uh, survive in the first five years or survive past the first five years is what it was. But obviously that goes down the higher the stages. So um, yeah, they said, you know, they didn't say don't worry, um, but they said just eat good food, like take care of yourself. Um, Make sure you continue to exercise. Like we're going to get you on chemo as soon as possible. Like everything was very like ASAP emergency. Like we're going to get you on treatment like next week. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. you mentioned food. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Did they talk about food at all? Yeah. Like I asked questions about that. I was like, well, what should I, uh, should I avoid eating anything? Like uh, they're like chemo is going to basically mess up your stomach. So I wasn't supposed to have like apple peels. Like if I was having mm-hmm. an apple, I had to peel it. Um, I couldn't have any spicy food. Could you have a junior chicken? I think I think I could. <laughs> they didn't specifically <laughs> mention <laughs> junior chickens. Um, I yeah, they just said like eat, don't have like too many spices. Which, to be perfectly honest, like I had a lot of spicy food and I felt the pain of that. I would get extremely bloated and I'd have a really painful um, digestive experience. Um, Eloquently put. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I, I remember one specific dish I had. I had my my boyfriend had made like uh, butter chicken, but he'd made it like ridiculously spicy because he always does, and it was so good. And I couldn't stop eating it. And then for f- three days after, I looked like I was pregnant. 
I was in pain. I was sweating. Uh, my body's just like, I can't do this right now. I can. And I'm like, you have to do it. <laughs> I need to keep eating this food. Um, so there were things like that, but nothing like specific. Like I, I even asked like, oh, like, is it okay if I have sugar? Because you always hear like, you know, sugar like helps cancer grow. And they're like, well... Well, like, that's not really definitive. So, like, try oh, to avoid good. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like, be, eat well. And I'm like, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious just because they did, they really didn't talk to me at all about food. Like, I feel like they don't want to because there isn't any definitive yeah. information, I guess. They told me not to eat soy, which is like mm. linked to breast cancer, but that's it. Like, I was like, can I still have wine? They're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I, I guess now apparently not, but um, oh. with the new restrictions. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Now you but, can have two glasses yes. a week. Yeah. <laughs> and so can everyone. Yeah, health <laughs> guidelines, I guess I should say, not restrictions. Which are not but. going over well with the general population, but it's no. not. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. And we should also mention that we recently found out your boyfriend is an incredible chef, so I can only imagine it was difficult to not get to eat all his food. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if he was cooking, I I was eating it. Mm. So <laughs> it, there was never a situation where I was like, oh, we'll make a separate meal for me. Like, I just put up with it. I was just like... Or he, he'd have like chili flakes and he'd like wait till he portioned out the food and he'd put it on his bowl or his plate and I'd have like the less spicy version. Uh, in general, we tried to avoid spicy foods. I was just really bad at um, like enforcing that for myself. Like even if I'd cook for myself, I'd be like, oh, let's put a little hot sauce on it <laughs> um, and then would quickly regret that. So, Yeah. I don't know if there's a better compliment to your boyfriend's cooking than you forcing yourself to eat his food <laughs> through extreme pain because you love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just need it. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so you leave the hospital after these grueling four days. Mm-hmm. Um, what what happens next? So we had – I had a lot of chats with my doctor who I met when I was in uh, the hospital. Um, I'm sorry to cut you, but just yeah. for our context, mm-hmm. um, you were in Toronto at this time. Did you? Yes. Were you in a Toronto hospital as well? Yes, I was in a Toronto hospital. I don't know if I can say it. I was yeah, at, it's fine. Yeah, I was at Sunnybrook. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like 15 minutes away from me, so it was the most convenient place to go. And uh, my doctor, so she was an oncologist, and I was at the Odette Cancer Center linked to Sunnybrook. We had... Uh, Lots of chats when I was in emergency. She basically told me, um, you know, because this is so advanced, uh, I don't want to delay starting treatment for you. It's going to be um, chemo every two weeks on Friday, last day of the week. Um, and you're going to do that for six months. So you're going to have 12 treatments. Uh, so my last treatment, I think, was the week before Christmas, which was like the gift, my gift. <laughs> the week before Christmas, I'm done, hopefully. Um, and I would have uh, cats, cats. What was it? Cat scans? It wasn't cat scans. Like a CT scan. CT scans. Yeah. 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 Did you um, have to drink the orange? No. There's one type of CT scan where you get this big. It's like a lean cup, and yeah. you have to like drink this thing of orange tang because it has dye in it. I guess that like goes into your body. Yeah. For the CT scan. Yeah. Actually, one thing I forgot to mention. Um, I had a. Oh, what is it called? Did you have the thing that goes right into your arm? I had a port right yes. here. Okay, yeah, right on your chest. Yeah. yeah. So I had a port. I have this scar right there. 
tiny, um, but I had a port in my arm. I had that done before I left the hospital. So it's basically like it's a little plastic tube that goes into your arm all the way to your heart. So when you're getting chemo, they do it through the port so that like it gets diluted. Like Instead of ruining the vein, it goes straight to the heart where there's a larger blood source to dilute the chemicals and spread it out your body. Um, there's a reason I mentioned the port. CT scan. Yeah, so they would give me <laughs> that dye through the port. Oh, okay. So it would go straight into my bloodstream. That makes sense because the only time I had to drink the Tang was like the very first one I had mm-hmm. when I was just doing all the tests. So I didn't have yeah. any, anything yet. But. Yeah, I know. It happened very fast. I think it was day two I or day three I had the port put in my arm. So this was after the 18 needles. And she was like, I know this is weird and it's going to be like an adjustment. I'm like, please don't poke me anymore. <laughs> I'm so happy to have this thing on my arm. Um, and I went every week to get like the bandage replaced and get it cleaned. But yeah, um, that treatment, it was chemo. It was three hours long of me sitting in a chair, getting this different chemicals dripped into my blood and it worked really well for me. I have many questions. Okay. First of all, what is a CT scan? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like the orange. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, okay. So it's a scan that basically it, it so they give you a dye um and it like the dye like highlights all of the cancer cells in your body mm. so they'll like come out super bright in the scan so you can't have any sugar or eat anything for like three hours before and i made the mistake of having a piece of gum as my boyfriend was driving me to the hospital one time for my like checkup ct scan i think it was the second one and i had to sit and wait three hours oh no and they had to reschedule it <laughs> because I had a piece of gum and I was so mad Uh, and I was like how could I do something so stupid um but yeah uh it it just shows everything that's going wrong so am I thinking of the right one because there's so many scans we've all we've had so many scans but (laughs) is the CT scan the one where you feel like you're gonna like pee your pants it gets really warm like in your crotch it's super weird yeah yeah it's really weird so they because they also um I don't know why I had to drink the Tang in the beginning because now that I'm thinking of it, they usually do a scan without the dye, I think, mm-hmm. and then they, they and then it. they inject it while you're in the machine, and then they do another scan. So you can feel it, and then it like mm-hmm. goes to your crotch and feels like you're peeing your pants. It's <laughs> yeah, so weird. You. Yeah. They Is it you. one of those machines where you like go into a wall? Or it's like you're lying like down a tube, and like tubes you yeah. into the yeah. Okay, yes. Okay, now yeah. I'm, I'm on board. I understand now. Yeah. Yeah, and they have someone on the mic telling you to not panic. It's going to feel like you're peeing yourself. You're not. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's so strange. It's very yeah, weird. I don't know really why weird. that is the thing that happens. And you don't yeah. actually have to pee. No, no. It's just like really warm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had one other question. Oh, yes. Okay. So because it's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. They don't actually have to remove anything, right? Because, like, for example, with breast cancer, they have to remove a lump. Is mm-hmm. there something to remove with lymphoma? Um, no, there was nothing to remove, thankfully. Uh, I didn't have to have surgery or anything. The, the chemo just, I guess, destroyed and killed the cancer cells that were forming. I, I think it's like the white blood cells, like, freak out and they form these, like, clumps mm-hmm. to stop things from, like, moving around. Mm-hmm. Probably wrong about that. But um, the chemo, like killed all of that Mm -hmm. Uh, i think actually in my second or third before my third chemo session i couldn't feel any lumps anymore wow um and then the next 10 sessions was basically 
killing anything that was trying to grow. Mm. So I think after two months, I had my follow-up CT scan and they were like, there's no active cells in your body, but we're going to go through the whole treatment to make sure like nothing's still brewing in there. That's so incredible. Yeah. Wow. How did you feel throughout the chemo treatment? Um, so they have like their typical warnings that you're going to feel really nauseous and weak um, and like not to do any crazy activities for the days following. Um, I remember trying to describe chemo to my friend um, and I was like, I every single session I would fall asleep. So I would, I'm sitting in the chair and I would always like have Netflix on my phone. I'd be watching something or I'd try to bring a book and try to read something. And every single time I would fall asleep. So it got to the point where like, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to close my eyes and like, let this happen. It feels like, or it felt for me, like all of the energy was being sapped from my body and I was slowly dying, (laughs) but in a very peaceful way. Like I just couldn't be bothered to move (laughs) um and they put so much fluid into you that you have to get up at least once to go pee I don't know if you had the same thing and one of the chemicals they put in me was like bright orange and like just so you know the first time you go pee it's gonna be bright orange don't be worried you're not bleeding internally that's just the chemo and I'm like great um so I would get up and I'd have like my thing and I'd wobble over like just exhausted um to the bathroom and come back and sit down and We'd go through three different bags of fluids and at the end I would call my boyfriend and he would drive over in like 15 minutes and pick me up. And I lived in a, an apartment building. It was like a low level, like four floors. And we lived on the fourth floor and our parking spot was right by the stairwell. And I was, I couldn't get up even half a flight of stairs. Like I was dead tired like and it was like beyond even tired like I wasn't yawning like I just couldn't like I was sluggish like Mm -hmm. I was slow motion sluggish like I couldn't I just couldn't do it Mm -hmm. Uh, it made me feel really old Um, but luckily I didn't have very much nausea and when I did I would just eat a lot I'd just stuff my face if I felt nauseous which sometimes made me feel better that's yeah. an interesting reaction to nausea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you can't like throw up. <laughs> yeah. you got to hold on to it. This is the energy that I'm giving back after that horrible experience. Um, yeah, but I would I would be pretty, pretty just sluggish, dead tired for two days after. And then usually by Monday, I was like feeling sort of okay. And then I had like a week and a half until the next one. How did you get up the stairs? I was literally going to ask the same thing. I was <laughs> yeah. just like, like do you chill there for a bit? Yeah. Like, so he would actually drive to the front of the building. I would go into the lobby and I'd sit down. And then he'd drive around, park, run around, like run through the building to me. And he would go up the elevator with me. Oh, great. Um, so you did yeah. have an elevator option. Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Okay. It just took like a lot longer to get home that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. It was like an extra five minutes, but it felt like like after going through chemo, you just I I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to lay down, watch like a stupid movie, and like have my cat in my lap and just like relax. Yeah. Did you at all have to work through this? I did not. Um, I didn't work for a long time. Um, so with my job, I was a salary manager. We had insurance. Um, so there's this thing called like, um, like 
great illness or critical like, illness critical illness yeah, yeah. I got the same thing yeah mm-hmm. um and i think we were with sun life yeah mine was through sun life <laughs> yeah so it was so okay wait before i get into that um when i found out i was diagnosed i immediately messaged my gm i think i messaged him at 2 30 a.m so he woke up to that message which is really not nice of me um but he messaged me the next day he's like anything you need tell me like you don't you don't have to come in. Like, don't worry about any shift or any work that you have. Like, just let me know what's going on when you know. And I was really lucky because someone in my company at a different location had had the exact same cancer eight months before, like had been diagnosed eight months prior. So had just finished treatment. Um, She was stage two, so it wasn't as advanced as mine, but um, she took that entire time that she was in treatment off and they continued to pay her um, while she sat at home. And I, I think she might have done some work while she was at home. I think she, she was at a higher level um, than me in terms of like role. But I, yeah, he told me, he's like, you don't have to work through this whole thing. If you're bored and you like, you want to do something, like I can send you some stuff to look at, but like you, there's nothing that I need you to do that is like more important than your health and recovering from this. So I didn't work. Um, I was paid like, uh, they paid me, it was maybe like 60% of my regular salary that they paid me, um, which was like obviously more than I could ever ask for. So I like survived off of that for a while. And then near maybe the 10th or 11th, like near the very end, uh, 10th or 11th installment of chemo, (laughs) Um, I applied for the critical illness and received a $30,000 check. Not even, it, it was directly tra- transferred into my bank account. And it was just like in there. Through When this was through your work insurance? Yes. So mm-hmm. after I finished treatment, that was December, 2020. Um, I didn't go back to work until May. So for that period, um, I had obviously the 30 grand and I was still being paid. Um, and they would check in on me and be like, hey, like, how's it going? They never asked me, when do you want to come back? They never pressured me into anything. Um, they, it was honestly like the best experience I could have asked for. I couldn't have asked for them doing anything differently. They treated me extremely well. Um, but I realized that I couldn't go back at the same capacity as I had before. And I told them, like, I can't manage anymore. Like, it's not good for me. The thought of going back is extremely stressful to me. Um, and it put me in like a mindset that does not serve me at all. And they accepted that. Good for you mm-hmm. for being able to realize that and then also vocalize it. Yeah. It was, it was a really hard conversation to have, or I, I definitely was in my head about it a lot until I actually sat down and I realized the person that I was speaking to was someone who had like really been behind me and supported me through the whole thing. And he was like, absolutely. Like, I totally understand. And I totally get that. I mean, it's also very fair. Like it sounded like you were in a very stressful situation prior to that. And like, yeah, at some point we have to focus on health. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're not trying to kill you. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like that um, shift has like carried over now into your current life, I guess, of just like thinking more about your health and I don't know, managing stress and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, um, I think I'm way more in tune with what's going on and I pay way more attention to what's going on uh, in my body. Um, I definitely catch myself like constantly touching my neck being like, it's not back, right? Like I don't feel anything, right? 
Um, and it has come back, thankfully. But I, I'm way more attentive to every little thing that I feel. Um, and I'm way more, I take way more seriously the stress that I do go to. And I'll, I'll note to myself, I'm like, you're really stressed right now. Like, maybe you should go like sit down and like, maybe write down your thoughts and like, just take a breather because I have this reaction of, I don't, I no longer have the reaction of like, just push through it. It's fine. Mm. It's like, no, let's, let's, let's take a look at this and think about it for a second. Where is it coming from? Because before I was like, it's everywhere. It's coming from everywhere. Like, I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. Move on. Uh, and now I'm I'm much more thoughtful about the things I feel. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I had a very similar experience because I was working a job that was also just very stressful at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like my main focus was just like work. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't anything else. And I was exhausted and... I just, but I didn't even think about it. I just did it. It was just like going through the motions. I didn't even really realize that there was like another way, (laughs) you know? Um, But definitely like I stopped. I used to do like, um, like digital media producing for a company. So I I stopped producing altogether almost. Mm -hmm. And now find like my life is just way more chill because I'll, I just will set rules and you know, you can, you can create a new reality. Yeah. It's not impossible. It's not like your situation is all that exists. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely like it, it definitely changes you like to feel like for yourself, how you just have one life and you're like, it could just end. It could just end. So you, I like you take yourself more seriously, but I think in terms of things that happen, outside of you or at least in my experience like I'm like you know what that's out of my control I'm not going to stress about it like I guess I can't take all this stuff on it's just not good for me so exactly it's like a shift of priorities too I think but I think there's a lot of not really you know how you said you could like create a new life or you can you know change your life I feel like a lot of the time when we're in stressful situations and do stressful work which I think is a lot of young people, Mm -hmm. we get there very unintentionally. Mm -hmm. And then you're there unintentionally and you're not intentionally fixing it either. And I just feel like it's a whole, like even just hearing you guys think about, I've I've gone through my own understanding of like, okay, I can't deal with the amount of stress that I'm dealing with and I'm trying to like minimize that. But I just think it's scary how many people deal with such an unhealthy amount of stress and if we really broke it down, does it make sense? Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because did you ever find out what may have caused your cancer? I don't know what may have caused it. I do know. I mean, I did like genetic testing after because I was just so curious about like what my body was doing that I was not aware of. And um, it, according to genetic testing, I don't handle stress well like my body doesn't and I know that because I get migraines when I get extremely stressed um but also my body is not good at processing um like um, I don't know how to describe this beyond like toxic waste like when you're drinking mm. a lot or or just, let's say smoking a lot like you your body's processing all of that stuff that's not supposed to be in you and my body's apparently not good at doing that um, so I do have to be very conscious of like what I consume and at what rates I am consuming them. 
That is so interesting. I did not yeah. know that you could find that out from a genetic test. Yeah, me neither. Mm-hmm. Wow. How yeah. do they explain to you how they can how they know that? Is this like a I'm just mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> I will send it to you. It was like a 40-page document. It went over so much stuff like what nutrients my body is is best like can, like processes the best, which is like fish apparently, like Mediterranean diet and um like it, it tells you a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. I don't exactly know how they get to the bottom of all of that. I assume they have like a large database that they work off of, but I, I couldn't explain it. Why are we not all getting genetically tested? Like I want to go <laughs> tomorrow to yeah. understand what's happening. Because even yeah. the thought, like everybody tells you stress is bad for you. Mm-hmm. But to know that you could actually find out that like, well, your body specifically can't deal with stress in this way, or like you mm-hmm. can't deal with like, you know, getting rid of toxins properly. I feel like that would really be like, okay, stress actually is not good for me. I'm actually going to listen to this and maybe I should just have two glasses of alcohol. Now I'm considering these guidelines. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe like the alcohol helps deal with the stress. I don't know. So it's it's like you can see all of these like numbers and things and you just kind of have to decide like what's worth it and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, You still have to be a human being. Yeah. (laughs) And like, um, quality of life is a thing too right yeah. like you can't just completely cut yourself off mm-hmm. of everything but that, that's very interesting to know speaking of genetic testing did you do any genetic testing to find out or did this test tell you um if any was like family related or like passed down yeah so i don't have a family history of cancer i was the first one um so i like i i know that that's well i I assume that's not where it came from. Maybe there was like some dormant stuff going on, but nothing, no one was ever like seriously sick. Um, And I still don't consider myself as having been seriously sick, which is probably wrong. Um, I think it had more to do with my body not being able to process and not being able to, or I I was holding on to a lot of things. Mm. Um, But I mean, I no one's, no doctor said this to me. This is what I've, assumed from what I've seen in that test and well the doctor that did explain the test to me said like this could be a reason it's not definitive but um your inability to to let go of things and process toxins could be a huge reason he's like you should be concerned about that because what if it comes back and I'm like don't say that to me (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah what is the like prognosis for like future is it common is reoccurrence common or is it um well they say reoccurrence is most common in the first five years following or in remission yeah um and if it doesn't happen after that it's it's a pretty high chance of it not coming back like i think it was over 90 it might be different because of the stage it was in by the way it was stage three they thought it was four it was three Mm. i don't know if i ever uh clarified that but um, that does bring the percentage down a few points, but it's still relatively high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's similar for breast cancer. It's like mm-hmm. first five. They don't consider you cancer free until five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you also, when you did your genetic testing, it also wasn't family. Yeah. There was no, because I did genetic testing through the hospital mm-hmm. and um, I had no like links. There was nothing. They didn't find anything in my genetics, but it was genetic testing that was just yeah testing like if it would have come from like a family member yeah type thing and there was nothing 
So I think it also is just like an environmental mm-hmm. based thing, maybe a similar thing. Yeah. I'm very curious to know why you said that you don't consider yourself to have been seriously sick. <laughs> um, I think because I didn't have um, really intense symptoms and I didn't have really intense nausea, I feel like I can look back and be like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Um, like, obviously, the doctors would have a much different opinion than me and I could tell that they were like very concerned about me. Um, and I've always had an issue with not sharing that concern for myself and not um, caring enough about myself and kind of brushing things off. I've always focused more on like my loved ones, which is like, you know, it, it, I think caring about people is a good trait, but you can go too far with any good trait. Um, and I definitely just stopped caring about what could happen to me. Uh, so I think that might be part of it me kind of saying like oh it wasn't it wasn't that bad like people ask me you know like oh it must or say you know it must have been horrible like your treatment it must have been so hard and I feel bad saying yeah it was hard because there were times where I was like thank god this isn't worse um I kept thinking and and you meet people when you're at like the cancer center and there was one lady in particular her name was Liza I think and we, she would had treatment on the same days as me. So I would see her in the halls and she'd be like, how are you doing? And she lost all her hair and she had a walker because she couldn't walk anymore. Um, she had, she had found out she had cancer while she was pregnant and she had delayed treatment until she gave birth. So her husband was at home with their, like, I, th- I think they had two babies and she was unable to help him care for them and she couldn't breastfeed and she couldn't really do anything for these kids beyond like laying there with them. And I would see her and and she was filled with such hope and she would speak so positively to me, like, you're gonna get through it, you're so young, it's gonna be fine. Like, just be glad you don't have what I have. Like, you're gonna be good. And and she I wish that I could say the same kinds of things to her. And I I would say, you know, like you're incredibly strong for having this outlook. Like her prognosis was not good. Um and I don't remember the specific cancer that she had. And I should probably follow up with her and see if she's okay. But um, yeah, she would send me like podcasts on uh, WhatsApp of like really inspirational stuff and like it's just like happy stories and things. And I was like, I think that you need this and you need to share it with me more than I actually need it. So I felt very lucky the entire time I was going through treatment because I would see, I was like the youngest person that was there. Mm-hmm. So I felt extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the doctors say like, Oh, the treatment's going so well. Like you don't have this, this, this. I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, that's really great. So everyone around me was telling me like, you're doing so great. You're doing so great. And I'm like, I am doing great. This is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I'm having a great time. I was not, but I, I, relative to what I'd seen, I felt like I didn't have the worst cards dealt to me. Mm-hmm. Did you end up having to lose your hair? Um, so my hair did thin out quite a bit. Um, and I ended up cutting it all like really short. No one else agreed with me that it had thinned out. I clearly I have a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say your hair is yes, like pristine. Nice. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I I I just felt like I wasn't myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'd have clumps falling in the shower. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't deal with the long hair. My hair was very long and I had like these long clumps coming out. I mean, rather it was short and I like don't see it. 
mm-hmm. and like kind of just like washes off and I like don't pay attention mm-hmm. and I don't have to like clog unclog the drain with my clumps <laughs> of long hair that are falling out of my head um so I did my hair did thin out quite a bit I cut it all super short and just rocked a short haircut for a while and it's finally like grown back mm-hmm. I mean it's growing back in like full bloom it's yeah very nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm glad um, I really want to talk about support systems mm-hmm. and we chatted about this um, with your story as well. Cause I know Des, you found support through like Facebook groups and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting because so there was that other girl who worked in the same company as me who had been diagnosed before me and she'd reached out to me a lot and she's like, Hey, like if you ever have questions or you just want to have coffee and chat, like let's do it. Like she was, she reached out to me quite a bit. I didn't know her very well. And I think I, I was very, very um, resistant to meeting up with her and talking about it. And she never pushed it. She always, you know, sent me encouraging messages and stuff. Uh, and when she would post about like her updates on Instagram, I would always be like, you know, thank you for being like a guiding light. Like I, I appreciated the content that she shared, but I, I never seeked it out. Um, and I was more at ease living in a world where this wasn't a common thing like this is just like a blip in time it's going to be six months and then it'll be done so Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't actually reach out or read any stories or get anyone else's experience and I kind of just treated it as this temporary thing and my support system was really just well mainly my boyfriend he was the only one who saw me when I actually felt ill um my friends would know not to like call me like they would message me but not to call me like the few days following chemo and they knew they couldn't visit me at that time uh any other time of course we were always talking and and always hanging out together but i would only allow them to see me when i felt normal and seemed normal um so i think Honestly, my support system was me sitting at home with my dogs and my cat and my boyfriend and just pretending we were having like a relaxing weekend and like just <laughs> lazing around on the couch. And again, I'm lucky that I didn't have the nausea and it was there wasn't a lot of like visible things happening for him besides my exhaustion to like trigger any kind of like worry. Mm. Obviously, in general, he was worried, but um, he'd be like, hey, are you good? And be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just really tired. And I'd fall asleep on the couch a lot. And, you know, it, it was really hard for him, but I'm I I I almost didn't like talk about it that much. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just doing treatment, like it's whatever. Like mm-hmm. I definitely made it not I, I didn't want it to collide with my social reality with friends and and even my mom would be like how are you doing i'm like i'm good i'm taking training really well the doctors said everything is going well and wouldn't give her like details about stuff like oh like this day i had a really tough treatment and i could barely go up the stairs like i didn't say anything like that to anyone did that help you like did you feel ultimately that was a good way to deal with it for you i think i spent so much time just laying there and sleeping (laughs) Like I, I never, I, I didn't even have the energy to cry or be upset about it. Like I would just be there. I would get annoyed. I would sit there and be annoyed. I'm like, oh, I wish I could just like go somewhere and like even just go for a walk. 
like it took so much out of me to let the to get up and let the dogs out to pee when my boyfriend was working. Um, I think I was annoyed at the circumstance a lot of the time, and I think it speaks to how um, lucky I was not to have felt worse and had a worse prognosis because I was just I I felt like a, a like a dramatic child most of the time, just being like. I want to. <laughs> I want to just be normal. When will these three days be over so I can feel normal? Um, I'm Loki, so annoyed that they did that to you on a Friday, and they took know. your whole weekend every time. Yeah. I well, think you know what? I think that's really common, though. Is it? The I Fridays? think so. Mine was on Thursdays, but I think because they assume that you're like a working person, that mm-hmm. you it's easier for you to just recover over the weekend and like work maybe a half day or not at all on a Friday. Um, of course I wasn't working at all. Um, they asked me about it. I told them they didn't change the day. Um, it was really nice for my boyfriend because Fridays and Saturdays are the busiest days in the restaurant and he got to take those days off. (laughs) Um, so he was not pumped obviously, but he was grateful for that to be like, Oh, I'm just there when it's like kind of chill. And then I come home and everyone's like panicking at work and I'm sitting here watching a movie with you. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty nice. A little silver linings. We're here for those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like it affected your relationship in any way or, or how, how did anything change? Um, I found there were many moments where I had to check in with my I just called Jordan my boyfriend Jordan I had to check in with him a lot because he would get really upset like the day he'd come pick me up at the hospital he'd be very quiet and he'd like drop me in the lobby and come get me and he'd be very quiet and I could tell that he was very emotional because he could see that I was like a shell of a human and it was really hard for him to see that um because it was so against like me and my regular like operating level um it, it was it was as a drastic change uh and i think that was really really hard for him to see and he tried to like not say anything so he wouldn't worry me and i wouldn't be worried about his like emotional state or, or mental well-being but i would i would have to check in with him because he wouldn't say it to me mm-hmm. because like you're the one going through treatment i don't deserve to be upset was the view that he had and i'm like no <laughs> you you're taking care of me mm-hmm. Like you absolutely deserve to be upset and you, I would think you were crazy if you weren't sad seeing me like this. Um, But I know that you don't want to like burden me just like I'm trying not to burden you. So it kind of became like we were both, we, we had to remember to like take the time to actually be like, Hey, like everything's good. Like we're Mm -hmm. okay. Everything's going to be fine. Like, what are you concerned about? What are you worried about? I think the hardest thing for him was going into work and us having worked in the same place, having everyone being Mm -hmm. like, how's Mel doing? Is she okay? Is she losing her hair? What's going on? Is she throwing up? She have nausea. And it's, he could never escape Mm -hmm. and I could escape. I could go home and no one could talk to me for three days, but he could never escape. And they would never ask me directly because they didn't want to burden me. So they would burden him. Mm -hmm. So he almost had more, to carry than I did he'd come home and he's like I'd be like how's work and he's like it was fine everyone was asking about you I tried not to cry (laughs) like I I I'm here and you're sick and I go to work and everyone's like she's sick and I'm like I know can we just work can we just like have a shift where we don't talk about my dying girlfriend (laughs) please Mm -hmm. um so that was really hard for him 
I think these boundaries are like clearly nobody set boundaries with him. I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't do it for himself either, but I also think it's not something that a person expects to go through and knowing that you need to set boundaries maybe was like a hindsight kind of realization. Mm-hmm. We talked about this before as well, like the concept of like a support system for the support system not existing. Yeah. And I think it starts with people in general speaking about cancer and speaking mm-hmm. about what people go through, what people need. Yeah, I, I think they, I think it was hard because I, wasn't reaching out to people. I worked with so many people. I was their manager. I, I wrote their schedules. I talked to them every day and then suddenly I was gone. And they, although some of them I wasn't super close with, they all would go into work with this thing in their head, like, oh my God, Mel's sick. Like, oh my God. And he was the only person that they could turn to for like information. And they didn't think about the effect that it had on him, obviously. Uh, and he didn't set the boundary. And I told him, I'm like, you need to tell people they can, they're not allowed to ask you. Like, you just need to tell them. He's like, but they're worried about you. What am I supposed to say? And I'm like, tell them I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's cool. Say you'll, you know, release an announcement if something happens to me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> a but newsletter will go out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a newsletter. It'll be like, Mel had her third CT scan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there there wasn't a support system for him. Like, I, I we were each other's support system and and it ended there. Mm. And that was definitely not the best way to go about it. Do you know what you would have preferred? Um, I think it's it's against his nature, so I know it would have been hard for him. I I wish that he'd set the boundary, or like someone had. I wish I'd even just called in and be like, "Stop fucking asking him. <laughs> Leave him alone." <laughs> um. But I, I don't think I realized how bad it was until like it was like months in and I could tell it was weighing, something was weighing on him. And I'm like, what is going on? Like what, like I'm going through, I'm doing great in my treatment. <laughs> like, what could you be sad about? Like everything's going so well. Um, and realized that he was being like, the people were just constantly talking about me with him. Like they wouldn't even ask how he was. They wouldn't be like, Hey Jordan, how are you? How was your weekend? Good to see you. It was constantly like, hey, Jordan, how's Mel? Hey, Jordan, how's Mel? And he became this invisible person. He was like the gateway to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wish that we'd been more strict with the, or we we didn't have, we didn't establish any boundaries. I wish we'd established boundaries and been very strict with them. And I wish I had played a part in, in helping that. And I think I, as much as I was like, oh, I was fine and I wasn't like thinking about it a lot. It did, it's in the back of your mind constantly and there are things that happen around you and you don't notice them. And that was one thing that I was very sad not to notice uh, was his struggle and his pain through that. What would you have preferred though? Like what for your I own preferred? setup? Yeah. <laughs> my own setup? Um, <laughs> like what would I have, mm, I, wish, I wish he could have not worked too. Um, I think I would have preferred that the expectations had completely changed for me but him as my support system the expectations were still the same like mm -hmm. we're going to give you these two days off instead but like you're still going to work full time you're Mm -hmm. still going to have the same responsibilities Mm -hmm. work might follow you home you might get messages I know that you're like at driving her to chemo right now but hey like can you help me with this thing or answer this question for me or um, like where do I find this or where do I how do I do that I wish that almost like when you give birth and you have mat leave and, and, and your your significant other always also has a leave 
Like I wish that that had been possible. Um, I think that's what I would have wanted to be different. I still don't, I, I still don't think that I would have emotionally reacted differently. I think I still would have just been happy to sit by myself and process it. Um, does that answer the question? It does. You keep not talking about yourself. You're just talking about your <laughs> I know, I'm, I, it's, it's very you. It's yeah. my problem. I have a deep problem, yeah. Did, but I do think that what you're saying is really important because there is a lack of understanding that, and you even said it at the beginning, like the physical cancer is happening to you, but it's happening to everybody that loves you. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think we forget that. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day like your caregiver and especially your partner is the one that if worst case scenario you die you don't have to deal with that anymore like you're yeah. dead yeah you're gone <laughs> they're the ones that have to go on with that loss mm-hmm. and they're carrying that the entire time that you're like going through treatment yeah so i think yeah i think people maybe just don't think about that and rely very heavily i'm really surprised that that is not something that is addressed at a hospital Mm -hmm. uh, at this point yeah it is mentioned in some capacity like uh like who's taking care of you when you're at home like what's the situation like they they do talk about that or they did with me but it was framed in a way that like just so you know most people who go through this their partner leaves them you should be prepared for that and every time they'd be like, who's picking you up today? I'd be like, oh, it's my boyfriend. They're like, you're so lucky that, you know, like he, he you found a good one. Like he cares about you. Um, so they're, they're, they kind of instill this fear that like <laughs> you're going to be too much. So maybe that might have tied into the things that I would just swallow and not say and like try not to be like such a burden. And like I, I wish I'd and I, I'd, I'd tell him that they said that to me. I'd be like, you know, like, you're so amazing. Do you know that a lot of, uh, like, people just get divorced when they find out their partner has cancer? Like, that's a thing. And he's like, that's crazy. I would never do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you did find a good one. Yeah. <laughs> did they tell you that too? Um, No one, like, outright told me that. But I was part of a lot of, um, like, there's this support group called Rethink that's, like, a breast cancer focus for younger women. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would like talk about relationship issues and it seemed like a lot of people did struggle with, um, issues in their relationship. I also was very lucky that I had someone that like didn't even really like question it. It was just like, I'm doing this with you. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess there are people out. I think, I think that if you don't have a really strong foundation, something like this could really like rock you because it definitely brought up issues in our relationship Mm -hmm. and but we were able to just like work through them whereas I guess if you don't have that solid foundation like it might be harder to make it yeah past that yeah and things change yeah yeah I, I mean you're right about it's it's weird that there's no mention of that and the fact that the one mention that I had was negative and no one even talked to me about like oh you know, there's Facebook groups, like there are support groups, like no one talked to me about that. Um, they might have given me a pamphlet about like mental health, but nothing really beyond that. They were just like, yeah, this is happening. This is your treatment. Glad your boyfriend's here. And there was no 
there was no real conversation about how this affects the people around you or Mm -hmm. even how it will affect you mentally, like physically extensive conversations mentally. No, because ultimately, even if they like, I understand that a hospital can only deal with so much, Mm -hmm. but especially in a country like Canada in which we're so lucky to live, especially when these scenarios come up, um, I just think it's more than dealing with the physical, obviously. Like, there's obviously the mental that is sometimes a, most of the time, a longer lasting Mm -hmm. issue. And for there not to be a structure around it is just surprising because even if they're like, okay, we're your doctors, we can't deal with your partner or significant other, but ultimately then you're left with that burden. So if they don't deal with it, they're forcing you to deal with it. And then they're telling you that you might be too much. And it just seems like a lot to put on a person who's physically just trying to get up the stairs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to make it home. On the note of partner stuff, did you at all have to consider anything for like egg freezing or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So when I was in those first four days in the hospital, when they were like, this is very advanced like this might be stage four be prepared for that they're like we are so they were so concerned uh with my state so the chest pain came from like enlarged lymph nodes near my chest they were like pressing there was a mass in my chest pressing on my heart um and they were like we can't wait um we don't want this to affect your like heart health your cardio cardiovascular health yeah that's the one (laughs) sounds right um we don't have time to do egg freezing. You're starting treatment next week. Um, this may affect your fertility, but we can't we can't do anything about that. Um, they did give me um, hormone injections that would essentially put my body in a state of like temporary menopause. Yeah, I I did the same thing. Um, as a precautionary uh, thing, I guess, to save my eggs. <laughs> but yours was um, like um, a choice, right? Mine was a choice. My doctors didn't, because I was able to do the egg freezing before I started my treatment. Um, it was just something that I like looked into myself because I was just worried and wanted to take like every every precaution that I could. Looking back in hindsight, I would not have done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, mine was really rough. Yeah. I think that was worse because that, the chemo, like the feelings you get after that, it's a few days, maybe near the end, it felt more like five or six or seven days after that I felt really off. But that was all the time. The feeling of being in like this temporary menopause was all the time and it was horrible and I'm not looking forward to it (laughs) Um, when I'm older. Um. What kind of symptoms did you have? I've heard, and I don't know what the drug was that you're on, but I've heard that this is worse than menopause because Mm -hmm. you go from like normal to zero estrogen and like your hormones are just completely, you don't actually like get slammed into it like that when you go into menopause. So there's hope. Okay. That makes (laughs) me feel so much better. Yeah. (laughs) Because I would just complain all the time. That was the one thing that I was like, I'm not going to complain about chemo because- like, it is what it is. I feel okay after a few days. But I would be in the car and I would get heat flashes. And they are so annoying. I think I spent a lot of time when I was in treatment just being annoyed <laughs> mm-hmm. with what my body was doing. Um, 
I I would get intense night sweats. I I had to sleep on a towel. I, I bought I bought like specific sheets for like sweating because I was like I can't do this anymore. This yeah, I'm like I can't wash my sheets every day. Like this is I'm too tired to do this. And I I would just swap out a towel, a new towel every day, and I just wash all the towels together. Um, because I just I I it was I was drenched. Like I I would I had no blanket on me. Actually, I'd have my own blanket, <laughs> so two blankets. Um, and I would just sweat profusely. And during the day, I would have a fan going. And I had a remote and I would just turn it on and turn it off and turn it on and turn it off. <laughs> and I would just get hot and cold and hot and cold. And it it sounds as annoying as you think it is. It yeah. was so incredibly irritating. Yeah. Brutal. Do and you, mood swings. Yeah. Do you feel like it affected you mentally? Like I was shocked by the magnitude of the effects that I feel like it had on my like psyche. Mm. I don't know how much it affected me mentally. Or if I'm just like really out of sync <laughs> with myself, <laughs> um, I I felt like it was definitely like mentally I I no patience like I would get really really annoyed really really quickly as soon as I would turn the fan like I'd be in the car driving and I turn the AC and I'm like I'm sorry I have to turn the AC on like I'm just really hot and the person next to me is like it's fine like don't freak out I'm like I I'm just like I was like high emotion like eighty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So it definitely affected me in, in, in that way. Like emotionally, I was just like <laughs> unpredictable. Yeah. And I had to like, like I noticed at one point and I was like, okay, I need to like stop talking. <laughs> like I'm going to get angry and just like I'll, it'll show on my face, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm, I can't just, I, I can't just be like this crazy lady who's like snapping out all the time. <laughs> so I would just get angry by myself. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to do that the whole time you were on chemo or you were doing chemo? Um, I was supposed to, uh, but I was a very bad patient and I got so incredibly angry that I stopped going to the injection place to do them. I also had to pay for them. Mm. Also, they asked me if I wanted to do it. I, I think I remember them asking me. They're like, it, it might help. We can't guarantee. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. Anything they told me, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. So I did it the first three months and I became so sick of myself that I was like, I'm not going to go pick it up today. I'm not going to pick up the prescription. I'm not doing the injection. And I didn't do it for three months. No, maybe a month, month and a half. And my doctor's like, how's everything going? How are the injections? And I was like, um, I stopped taking them. And she's like, what are you doing? Why? Why did you stop taking them? She's like, there's no point if you do it for a little bit and stop. And I'm like, I hated my life. And she's like, well, can you start doing them again? I'm like, yeah. So I started doing them again. <laughs> um, and that's probably not good for my hormones, um, just being jerked around like that. But it that I honestly think was the worst part of the whole experience, which sounds really dramatic. I feel like the emotions from that time come back and I get like really, really upset about it. But it's not dramatic. You can't, it's like, it's easy to underestimate if you're not like in the experience, but it is intense. It's mm-hmm. like very intense. I stopped early too. I only did two months. Yeah? Yeah. Like yeah. I was having that severe of side effects after only two months, which is crazy. Yeah. It hits you like a, like a truck. Yeah. How long does it take for your hormones to like swing back? I felt like everything took a long time to feel normal after. I don't think I felt normal for like almost a year after I finished treatment and finished doing the injections. 
um, the drugs that I were on for nausea made me gain like 30 pounds. So I didn't feel good about that. Um, and it, it wasn't so much like the way that you look where it's like you put on clothes and it's like, oh, these can't be mine. These don't fit at all. <laughs> and you feel even more out of yourself mm. on top of being just you just feel I felt like a general sense of just being ill, like not being strong. I'd lost so much muscle mass. I remember I went snowboarding in April, um, the April right after finishing treatment in the December. And I couldn't get up. I would fall and I couldn't, I didn't have the abdominal strength to get up. And I was like, guys, I swear, I know how to snowboard. I swear. And they, no one believed me. They're like, you've never done this before. I'm like, I swear I can do this. I just, my legs don't work and my, my abs don't work. And I, my, my arms don't work. And it was, it was really dehumanizing. Um, because it was like, I thought it was over and it wasn't over. And, you know, people are like telling me like, oh, it's going to take time for you to feel normal again. I'm like, I don't want it to take time. I finished treatment. I want to be good now. I'm ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, I mean, tied into like me being in treatment being like, oh, it's just like a moment in time. And after six months, this will be good. And it, that's not reality. Um, and I had to learn to be much more patient with myself um, and have like more grace and love for myself because I had just been operating on like, you can do anything, like don't take excuses for so long. Do you feel like that's changed your perspective on yourself right now in general? Um, I think yes. I think even if I still have those habits of being like, oh, well, why can't you do it? Like, even if I have those thoughts, I recover much faster from mm-hmm. them. Um, it's it's almost just like, you know, being able to recognize your triggers and, and knowing yourself well. Like, it's still happening. You're still having the reaction. But how are you, like, reconciling that? Like, how are you moving forward? So it's it's definitely changed the way that I perceive myself. I think I can appreciate my emotional reactions, but I can also, like, come down from them much more easily and not make excuses to like feel a certain way um like if something terrible happens i'm like you should be upset about that yeah Mm. we are upset we are upset now (laughs) (laughs) uh versus being like oh that's really upsetting and really horrible but i can't take that on that's that's like i i'm i'm gonna share like my thoughts and and feelings and i have to move on because like things are different now Mm mm-hmm like the the world isn't ending. Are there any health things that you do now more consciously? Like, is there any like tips or things that you've like picked up where you're like, I eat like this, I do this. Like, is there something that helps you? Um, I think something that I found out was really therapeutic for me was going for walks. Um, a lot of my recovery in the year following was going downtown with the dogs and just walking for an hour and a half and going down Lakeshore and 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 doing all of these like things in nature where it's like quiet going on hikes with them and sometimes I do them alone and sometimes I do them with people I I never made the time to do that and my dogs have quite high energy <laughs> and generally like me and my boyfriend would split up you know exercising them and maybe that meant like going for a shorter walk and stopping at a park and playing fetch because they love to do that. Um, but now it's I, I'm more involved 
with them in that sense. We're like, we're going on a long walk together. We're not, I'm not just going to stand there and throw a ball for you. Like, let's go on a little adventure. Like mm-hmm. have, having, it, I think my favorite time to walk is when it's like dead quiet. Like there's just been a snowstorm. It's still kind of snowing and it's, just, you're just walking and no one's outside and you can just be with yourself and just like breathe in the fresh air. I definitely did not take as much time or did not consider that to be as beneficial as it was before. And it's been huge for me. Like I'll, if I get stressed out about something, I'm like, I'm just going to go for a walk. And it's it's funny because I, I think, I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but (laughs) I used to get, yes, (laughs) the addiction. Yeah. Um, I used to get a lot of like content about like, Oh, we're going on a mental health walk. It's 2020. There's nothing else to do, but it really did help me a lot. Uh, to be like, yeah, I can just go outside. Mm-hmm. I don't have to sit here. Like, why would I just sit in here? That's sad. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should go like explore my neighborhood. Um, that's that's been like a huge, huge thing for me. As a fellow fan of walking, I have to agree with you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love a good walk. Yeah, same. <laughs> we keep bringing this up, but it's just like there's a lot of there's a lack of clarity as to how people are supposed to support somebody. And of course, everybody accepts support differently and they need things differently. But is there something that you either learned that you're like, this is the type of support that I need or like, Mm -hmm. this is what I wish people knew or wish we had just to like put out there? It's. I I think it's natural to have a fear of reaching out to someone who's going through a hard time um, and thinking maybe you're bothering them by doing that and like asking them how they are and talking to them about it. But you don't want to get to the point where someone's passed away and you wish you'd spent more time speaking with them and just being with them. I think the fear of not wanting to bother someone by reaching out isn't like that's all in your head. And if someone has a boundary that they need to draw, especially when they're in a state where like things are really hard, they most likely will be like, I don't want to talk about that. Like I let's not, let's not do that. Let's do this instead. Like I, I think communication is the only way we get anything done and the only way we move forward. And we have to have conversations with people and you have to reach out to people when like whenever nothing bad has to be happening and nothing good has to be happening. But literally those days that I would go on walks with my friends and we would talk and talk and talk. And she'd be like, how did you gain 30 pounds? Like, it felt like you were still pretty active when you were in cancer. And I'm like, Oh, like I was on this, this medication. So that was a huge thing. And of course I'd stuff my face anytime I felt nauseous. And there's people that'll be really afraid of asking those questions. And obviously, you know, (laughs) be cautious with things that you ask when it comes to weight gain. Um, but in general, I think it's it's hard to encourage someone to reach out. I think people really get in their heads about it. But I know for myself that there were a lot of times, like even when I say like I was sitting by myself and my friends knew not to call me, like maybe that's what I needed. Mm to relieve that burden off of my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was just like, this is fine. I'm going to, I'm just going to do this and no one has to be upset. No one mm-hmm. has to be upset. Mm-hmm. 
But looking back, like, how would they have felt? Again, I'm focusing on them, but how would they have felt if things hadn't gone well? And they're like, oh, I didn't even really talk to her about her experience. Like, I didn't even know it was that bad. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we really underestimate, like, the power of conversation, which is why this is so important. And I just want to say, I think that maybe, because you're not thinking about yourself, maybe talking in those moments when you don't want to put it on someone else like maybe it's unburdening yourself if you do though Mm -hmm. you know yeah i i I, there's definitely been times where people have been scared to tell me something that's been going on in their life and they tell me and i'm like why were you scared like i'm always here for you and then it's so difficult sometimes to flip that the other way around um but if you were having a hard time i think you'd want to talk about it when people lose someone in their lives they wish that someone would reach out and ask them about that person mm-hmm. like let's oh like how like if you lost like your mother or like your grandfather or something you'd be like oh what kind of person were they mm-hmm. like that is a really a great way to unburden i don't know how else to describe it but um holding things in is not the way to help yourself um and not the way to help anyone else and maybe you're not the right person to handle that conversation maybe things will come up and you're like hey like let's find some therapy for you or let's find like someone who can like manage these conversations and actually help you Mm -hmm. something that my my gm actually used to say to me all the time is people are storytellers and people will create stories in their mind and will create a reality that's very different than the one that they're living in. And you'll think, oh, they don't want to talk to me. They just want to have time to themselves. And because so-and-so and and you make up like this whole story and the reasoning behind it and why it's that way. And then you talk to them and you're like, oh, I was totally wrong. (laughs) Um, So that's, I mean, that's definitely something I've done. Where you just make abs- assumptions about people based on what you see on the outside. You never know what's going on inside someone's head. Unfortunately, sometimes. But we just have to find a way to make that a more, I guess, acceptable thing to like reach out and ask difficult questions. It, it takes a lot of bravery. It's a really hard thing to do. But I think we should highlight those moments more. Exactly. I think it also just like provides a little bit of hope because (laughs) I think if you're just, if all you know is what you see in like the movies and when you hear about cancer, it's like worst case scenario situations, I think a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yeah, just knowing that it's not always that, that there's life (laughs) after cancer. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Ending on that note, there is life after cancer. Yeah. And it can be cute and fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us. It's so nice to meet you in such like an intimate way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs>